Welcome back to the Writer's Room. This is Let's Write, the podcast where we pitch, develop, and write some dream movie ideas from some of our favorite franchises. I'm Ryan Matsunaga, and joining me, as always, is my lovely co-host, Julian Rose. How about uh, solitary jazz? Oh, are you having a down year? What's what's going on? Having Check a, me, ha- buddy. Having a down day, you know? Just a, it's, a, it's a solitary day. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll try to pick you up with some uh, some pitch energy i think that's always the the right cure for for whatever ails you just just overwork and and forgetting about your troubles (laughs) the good news is there's plenty of room for story (laughs) maybe this will be a story about second chances (laughs) a joke that makes absolutely no sense to anyone who didn't listen to the previous episode so um this is off to a great start (laughs) always great when you know your audience (laughs) <laughs> all right we're really we're really rolling today aren't we enough of this nonsense you ready to jump into it yeah let's do it all right let's boot up the uh the pitchinator 5000 oh, is that what it's called now i don't know man <laughs> <laughs> Look, there's just no consistency until someone builds us a uh, wikipedia we're just it's the canon is going to be impossible to decipher it, it uh, almost feels like th- that there's a story in and of itself surrounding the uh, the corporation that's building this device for us and the repeated oh. updates to the product and name changes. Getting a little ahead of ourselves here. Gonna have trouble thinking of other ideas now. This is this is this is rumbling around. <laughs> okay, Julian, start us off here. Could you uh, could you give us a story set in the Fast and Furious universe, the beloved and and canonically consistent Fast and Furious universe? But uh, find a way to make it a period piece. And also the studio is sending me some notes right now saying that uh, people are getting a little bit sick of this franchise at this point. Uh, We feel like it's starting to run its course. We need to we need to pump some life back into it. So if you could you could attach a surprising director to the project, someone who's really going to get people buzzing, really demonstrate to people that this is a new era for the franchise. uh, I think we're going to be in a good spot to recapture some audience interest. Mm, okay. Fast and Furious, the, uh, the the critically reviewed Fast and Furious series. Um, that's a Shit's Creek joke for anyone for anyone who is <laughs> a, a Shit's Creek watcher. Um, period piece and 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 attach a surprising director to the project. Seems seems like a fairly straightforward prompt, actually. Um, so I'll, I'll widen it up a little bit for you because. Um we're we're reinterpreting the uh the scripture passed down by the uh the pitchinator 5000 but uh it can it could be either a period piece in terms of the the time frame where it's set you know traditional uh the parameters of a period piece or you can apply that to the vehicles in some way if you want to make this a more contemporary story in in the fast and furious timeline your cough anything anything is speaking to you there I see. I see. So, like, uh, there could be a there could be an in-universe sort of situation in which it's still it's modern day, but for whatever reason, the mechanics of, and, and the vehicles end up more in a in a period sense. If that helps, if that hurts, feel free to feel free to play around with that. How how wacky can I go? <laughs> I mean, this is uh, bear in mind this is the Fast and Furious series, so I think. You know, anything that strains the boundaries of believability or is really going to, it's going to strain our credibility with the audience, right? They're, they have certain expectations that this is uh, f- physically consistent, right? With just the laws of the universe. And, grounded. Um, <laughs> grounded in. 
<laughs> grounded in reality, um, like some of the uh, death-defying stunts where a uh, where, where they're Dom all, they're all based on true events. So <laughs> where Dom drives a car into a bridge and throws himself across <laughs> to another bridge. <laughs> so, so let me ask you this: is 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 time travel as a technology off oh, off the table? Okay, I like where your head's going. Um, I, I guess. <laughs> I mean. The 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 most recent one had had super soldier serum, right? And and the one before that had uh, you know a, a global hack that that rewrote the programming of self driving cars. So you, you know, I mean, we're 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 we're, we're touching the, the the realm of sci fi already. I don't think it'd be too much more of a stretch. I, I think I'd be more reticent to go there if we didn't have Hobbs and Shaw introducing the what was it called, like Etion or something. The, sure. the, or, the organization like th- that was like th- I, that opened a door that I think you can that that I feel comfortable running through um, to, to do where I was going with that. Generally, I'll, I'll throw it out there because there's no harm in just throwing it out and then we can we can back up off of my insanity um, <laughs> was I think. And, and this is a little bit because I have one division in the brain. Um, I, I think it'd be cool to if time travel was an option to explore like the history of Auto, the automobile industry and like more specifically racing um, w- with those characters. Like those are characters who come from a very specific world of racing. And I think it'd be cool to have, to send them back and do sort of a um, almost like a time heist type thing, but, but paying homage to the history of racing in the way that WandaVision is kind of doing a, a homage to the history of the television sitcom. Like, I think that's a fun way to tell a story and a fun way to couch a, a really interesting story. It's a big swing. So like that, that feels like a fun, that feels like a fun premise to like have those guys go back and, um, be, be jumping through different points in history and get, and letting us experience those things and, and getting to write kind of a love letter to the history of automobiles and the history of racing. Um, so that, that was, that was my general thought there. And then, and then, yeah, like I like the idea of like a time heist type thing, um, kind of like end, uh, Avengers Endgame. And then as far as like the, the the literally the first thing I thought when you said a surprising director was um uh uh oh shoot I'm like blanking on his name now. The, the um this is terrible no context this, clues. This is terrible this is the only place I know him from right now but the the guy in the first season of Mandalorian who plays the the old Werner Herzog. Werner Herzog. That's that's just such a bad. I know that's sacrilegious for from a from a film fan to refer to Werner Herzog as the guy from the Mandalorian season one. But um, what is he, has he done other stuff? I, I'm I'm not aware. Yeah, you know his body of work is not that not that wide. He's probably oh, right. he was in Jack Reacher. That's sure. Right. Yeah, two roles. That, that's two, right. Two famous that's right. He's probably, probably best known for his role as as whatever that character's name was in the Mandalorian. Um, but that was my that was my first. That was my gut reaction. Was Werner Herzog? Um, that, that's that's a nutty one. I mean that that's a surprising one. So if if we're if we're going that direction, I I I like it because it whether or not we feel like it's a perfect fit for the story, it it's absolutely one that gets people talking. There's there's no way you attach Werner Herzog to a to to a, a franchise picture without people immediately you know their their heads turning on that. Because he he doesn't one direct that often anymore. I don't I don't think he's directed in, in quite some time actually. And and to do a Fast and Furious like that 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 that's the only thing that that film bloggers have been talking about for for a year straight. Yeah, because I feel like you could do like you know you're saying like surprising direct like you. It, it's funny now because like you, I, I I could be like 
Taika, because I feel like he'd bring like a really interesting sensibility to one of those movies. But then like, that's almost the expected answer now. It's like, oh yeah, Taika would do a really interesting fact. Like that, that's not, I think, I think people would be like, wow, I'm excited for that, but that's not going to turn people's heads over in the way like, Hey, Werner Herzog is doing the next fast and furious movie. And it's a period. Like, that's just like, you're like, I, there's no way I don't see this movie. Um, right. So that, that was my gut reaction, but that, I'm not married to that in any way, uh, shape or form. So I'm very open to, okay. Let, let's back exploring. up for a second then, because I, I think uh, that's a good place to start in, in terms of setting the temperature of the room of uh, where we want to to push the boundaries of the story by bringing a director like that in. Let, let's take a few steps back to the story itself and maybe see if we can crack uh, uh, the central conceit of it. And I think uh, the directorial choice and the directorial uh, voice might might uh, become a little bit clearer at that point. Sure. So I think... Uh, where we stand right now is essentially we want to play with some mechanic of time travel, which will enable us to to take the story back to uh, an era where where I guess like the vehicular mechanics of it or or the the aesthetics of it are are also very clear and and uh, and, and memorable and and take our our class I guess our contemporary cast of characters and then just set them in that. Um, that uh, much earlier time frame, which I think is a good place to start. It's a good foundation. Uh, alternatively, not to and not to make it too complicated, but alternatively, we feel like time travel really strains the bounds of believability, even in the context of a franchise like Fast and Furious. I think you could get a achieve a similar result in terms of what you're trying to do with the bulk of the movie, but maybe do something more in the along lines of like a simulated reality. Um, that that might be a little bit less of a of a stretch in terms of like be kind of interesting to start the movie where they're in a period and. A period setting and you're kind of like I don't really know why we're here and they're a little bit confused as to why they're there and they're sort of like piecing things together and then you have a bit of a mystery thriller aspect to it and then the kind of middle of the movie twist could be that like that Etienne organization I kind of have to look that up to make sure I'm not just like coming up I just didn't just invent a random organization but <laughs> um, that that organization had at some point captured them and has uh, uh, what do you call it and and has basically don't hurt yourself <laughs> i try to think of the word that i'm like like put them under basically and has uh-huh. inserted them into a simulated reality that they've created to some end i, I guess that that we would crack this that, that's that we can dive into that if we want to go this angle but that that angle is vibing with me a lot more because um i mean uh, i'm gonna invoke a, a cinematic classic here so we don't want to we don't want to set too lofty of expectations, but I'm getting kind of sucker punch vibes in the sense of Ooh. you could do kind of a genre hopping adventure where they're going going in between eras. If if this is a simulated reality, right? Um, you could have a what would the Fast and Furious cast look like in 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 uh, World War II dogfighting uh, vehicles, right? Like piloting those. Like what, what would it what would they look like in the golden era of, uh, of automobile racing? Like what would they look like in, I don't know, like a piloting a tank, you know, like I, I think there's a lot of different uh, aesthetics and, and uh, time periods where you could just plop the cast into a different set of vehicles and, and kind of watch them go nuts. And um, you know what I like about it too is, is and this is, this is me putting the cart far before the horse, um, but I'm just thinking about how you would, if this was legit, if you're going to make this movie, how you'd market it. I don't actually think it, presents any obstacles to the marketing because like you you could you could uh present it in the same way that they did a little bit fate of the furious in the sense that like dom goes bad and they did a lot of they like harped on that point quite a bit but they didn't need to tell you why he was doing that 
and they were able to hit all the right trailer beats still. And you could do that here. Like you could just have all these amazing period uh, shots and like like you said, like the 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 tanks and the planes, and we could do this stuff and and just hint at their confusion as to what's going on. But you don't even need to go there. Like with the, you, you can preserve that surprise um, and keep that out of the marketing material pretty effectively and still get people really excited. I feel like so it, I, I think it works as like a twist that you don't have to give away. Sure, and I'm I'm having a lot of fun with the the sort of um, time period hopping angle in the sense of. Uh, uh, I think one of the strengths of the Fast and Furious series, uh, the movies to date, has been their ability to, I don't even know if adapt is the right word, but to kind of innovate on its own tonality, right? I mean, if you compare Fast and the Furious, the original, to even Tokyo Drift, and again to, to Fast Five, and then all the way up to Hobbs and Shaw, like, they're they're almost um, tonally... Uh, 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 almost uh, nonsensically different, right? There, there's so there's there's such a wide gamut of of uh, a storytelling kind of uh, aesthetics there. You know, they they hop everywhere from like uh, easy breezy uh, heist sort of style movies to kind of more uh, uh, self serious action pieces to bizarre kind of um, uh, sci fi uh, infused um, um, storytelling. So I think there could be something fun there to play with with this concept of maybe even having the time period hops be genre hops as well. Like really distinct kind of genre conceits. Like uh, doing like a, 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 a Grindhouse-esque um, uh, like 50s or 60s uh, a car movie or doing a you know, a classic like '80s, '90s heist film with uh, with cars. Like I think, like recreating kind of the genre conceits of of some of these uh, very iconic styles of of car movies with the Fast and the Furious cast. Yeah, I love that a lot. I think that's really fun and and kind of a little bit meta too, because it it yeah it nods to the franchise's history of genre hopping anyway. Like let's let's do a classic Bond sort of. Um, uh, thing where they're driving these uh, tricked out uh, gadget cars, you know, I, th- I think that could be super fun. Yeah, I love it. And you could nod to some of the like the, you know, like this the er, the original Italian job and sort of that's the '60s '70s sensibility of of you know the quirky heist sort of. Like, like, I think there's a ton of fun uh, that you could have playing with that. Absolutely. Okay, uh, let, let's spitball here and because tr- I, I, for whatever reason, we're we're we're, um, we're still in the atmosphere, and I, I think that the view up here is very nice. But uh, we need to get grounded at some point to figure out what the actual, what the actual conceit is. What what, why are they doing this? Sure. If we can crack that, I, I think we're we're circling something very intriguing to me. Sure. So I think I think we, kind of have established that the Etienne. And I looked it up. I'm, I'm correct. It's Etienne. The Etienne organization, Fast and Furious Sage, and no one ever doubted you. You are the lore master of the Fast and Furious series. Don't you dare! Although, to be fair, it is one of my pet peeves on podcasts when, like, I, I as the listener, I'm listening to the person struggle to find the thing, and I'm like, "It's this! It's this! Come on, man! I know what it is. Just let me tell you a thing." So that I want to ensure that anyone out there listening that's like me is not going to have. You're also my pet peeve on podcasts, so that that makes sense. Oh, sidestepping that barb. Um, so, so Etienne is has cat. Let, let's say we start the film where they're already in the period thing, uh, or they're already in a period, and they don't. Oh yeah, Let, let's open it up like in, a, in like a black and white movie or something. Just exactly, like, no, cold open, cold hard, open, hard no, genre. 
no context. I think there could even be some fun to play with the title sequence and and do a kind of a fun or even redo the title sequence for each period would be really fun in the vein of that period's kind of film style um, would be cool. But we, we I think we cold open and then they are I think the team is scattered. And I think they and I think it would be fun to fo- pick like I guess you're probably going to follow Dom um, at trying to piece together what's going on. Fuzzy memory. And then you have a fun moment where he runs into someone and as the audience, you're kind of like, oh, like, okay, they're going to now they're going to figure it out. And then they don't recognize each other at all. And they just keep going. And then we build up to some sort of thing where they all get brought to the same place, brought together and have maybe a moment where like like a glitch in the matrix or a kind of a moment where they're like, wait, uh, this is not right or something's not right. And then we warp them into the next time period before they have a chance to. So almost like the the Etienne organization maybe is just rebooting the premise each time they get close to figuring it out. Um, But maybe they're taking, they're remembering elements of it each time they get rebooted. And that's our mechanism to jump between the time periods. I think, I think that's generally the trajectory, like probably the early part of the film. As far as why they would be doing this, we, I don't I guess the problem is we don't really know much about Etienne other than they're bad guys. So I think maybe we have a little bit of creative license here to given that at the time of recording, Fast 9 and any other spinoffs have not come out yet. So we don't have any further infor- information about Etienne. So we kind of have a little bit of creative license to, I guess, play with and flesh out their motivations. Sure. I, I guess if you, if, you, if you have Dom and the crew... And and we've already established that they are, for lack of a better way of phrasing it, some of the most valuable people on the earth, just in terms of their their skill set and their ability to complete missions and whatnot, for a variety of uh, different organizations. If you had captured them and and you need their brains for something, what what could that something be? You think it could be information? Could be um, oh, how, how about this? How how about uh? I'm, I'm okay. I'm gonna pitch you something wild, and I think it actually kind of ties into Fate of the Furious a little bit with um, their their sort of uh self-driving cars. Okay. What, what if? Because in the world of Fast and Furious, there's nothing more important than cars, right? For some reason, your your ability to master an automobile is is directly tied to your ability to be a secret agent or or a tactical agent and you know your, your competency is directly tied to how good you are behind the wheel of a car for for some reason it, it, it just it translates to into all er- other areas of life sure so if we kind of take that that uh, grandiose premise and we're saying an evil organization is trying to take over the world uh is trying to to I don't know, take over the military industrial complex is trying to to be the shadow broker behind the the powers that be in the world. What if they're trying to develop essentially an artificial intelligence that's that is like the the best uh, the best kind of a, a driver, the, the best uh, it can it can pilot any kind of vehicle with a hundred percent you know um, efficiency, whether it's a plane, whether it's a car, whether it's a, a, a Roomba, you know, it can take over any kind of device and and pilot it with uh, like tactical precision. But to to get that AI to build that AI, they need to draw from some kind of source, right? They they need to build it off of something. And what would that something be in the world of Fast and Furious but the best human drivers on the face of the earth? So what if this simulation that they've trapped them in is essentially a means to kind of extrapolate 
driving and and uh, and and mission data from our cast of the Fast and the Furious in order to funnel that into the the ultimate driving machine, this this uh, Etienne uh, artificial intelligence, which mm. which through the course of the film could maybe become the antagonist as that becomes clear. Oh, I love that. And well, then, what if in, what if in each of these eras we're we're moving up the kind of timeline from something you know very old? We we start off in like a black and white movie almost or something, and we're moving through the eras of it. And in each of these eras, they're facing essentially like a self driving car, like some kind of artificially piloted vehicle that that is being their primary antagonist, and they're defeating it each time. And then each time they defeat it, they they get jumped to the next era. But every time it's getting more difficult because as we as we learn in in the narrative of it that the the artificial intelligence is getting smarter every time they're they're training it some accidentally and and by the end of the film it is like the ultimate artificial intelligence for for combat and driving and whatnot and that's the ultimate challenge for them to to overcome and maybe that's where we can bring it back to the real world and they get they get out of the simulation and now this thing is running amok in the real world modern day and they have to actually legitimately stop it right yeah, I love that. That's great. That feels, I, I don't feel like any part of that feels like it's pushing the boundaries of what we've already been introduced to. I'm, I'm just really, really uh, vibing with the the genre hopping nature of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it it's, it's such a fun kind of meta narrative um, feel to it of, of especially if, if you're a car fan, right? Like a car movie fan to, to see us like directly pay homage to classic car movies the aesthetics of those movies and, and maybe even go as far as like a doing a car ready player one sort of thing where you're they're actually driving maybe some of these classic vehicles um uh, i i think that could be a, a a very fun sort of a layer for for fans to latch on to i love that get the um get the delorean in there at one point get um i don't know what card is but the car from bullet uh, Steve McCoy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you could get. Uh, we should we should just have one of the eras be that like '60s uh, uh, bullet mm-hmm. kind of aesthetic to it. Get the get the um, uh, the know, car French from connection sort of thing. Get the car from Smokey and the Bandit. You know, like <laughs> sure. I think you could do. I, I I love that idea. Like like the spot the Easter egg car. I think that's super fun. So, what what I'd like to crack before we move on is essentially what could be the mechanic of them getting out of the simulation because I, I think we have the overall premise. We have the 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 sort of final climactic showdown with this artificial intelligence. Now, now I just need to know how we get them out of the simulation. Like, what, what are they actually trying to accomplish uh, in addition to just surviving? Like, what, what are they trying to do during the course of this film? Um, I guess what period would be the last one in the simulation before they break out? Could I go, could I go a little nuts with it? Yeah, always. Okay, so so let's say the simulation is kind of working its way up to the present, and we're like, oh, this is this is I see where this is going because you know as when, as we're running out of time and the movies are or the eras are getting more contemporary, we're gonna we're gonna end with the present era, right? We're gonna end with the Fast and Furious. It's almost like a meta sort of um, uh, narrative of like all car movies through the course of uh, uh, cinematic history are leading to to. The Fast and the Furious, which uh, of course they were, right? Um, this is the pinnacle of c- the cinematic form. <laughs> but what if we we had that aspect? What, what if it's even a fake out? Like we think they've gotten out of the simulation in some way. It's it's a classic kind of Fast and Furious aesthetic. They do the action set piece, 
and then suddenly we do the visual aesthetic of them jumping to another era again and, and we'll go whoa wait, wait i thought the movie was done and they jump forward in time past the fast and furious era and the last kind of segment in the simulation is like a sci-fi sort of conceit what if it's like a what if it's like a mad max conceit like we do the fury road aesthetic and oh, it's man. the fast and furious cast oh man I think that could be like a really good fake out moment where we think we think we've escaped the simulation and actually there's there's one more level to it. Oh man, that's really fun. Okay, so then we have to find a mechanism for them to get out out within the context of let's say the Mad Max sort of period. Okay, so I'm I'm gonna pitch you something very rough. It uh, it's this very uh, uh, wibbly wobbly sort of uh, um, you know. Uh, fake science gobbledygook but i think maybe we can we can chisel it down into something a little more believable at least by the standards of the scientifically plausible fast and furious universe uh what if what if essentially the 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 fast and furious crew their driving is so good or they're they're doing something within the simulation that's so complex or maybe they're causing so much destruction of or something that they begin to figure out that they can overstress the system. So like by the by the first act, they've essentially figured out what's happening to them. They're inside a simulation. And through the course of the second act, they're figuring out that they can they can push the boundaries of it to some extent. And by overstressing the the parameters of the system, it causes little kind of cracks in it to to emerge. Like there's they're sort of glitching out the system by by being so badass you know for 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 lack of a better way of explaining that sure and by the end of the third act i guess going into their escape into the real world and that that actual final fight maybe the sci-fi elements are them successfully pushing the simulation so far it's just spitting out nonsense now like like we could even do like a like a sequence where they're instead of just doing a a whole action set piece in one era they're they're doing action set pieces across like 20 different eras in 20 minutes, you know, like it just constantly hopping between things as this simulation is breaking down. And, you know, you could, I know I already mentioned ready player one, but you could, you could recreate like the, the essentially the, the uh, chaotic energy of that, that opening set piece, the, the race where, where it's just a, you know, nonstop barrage of, of visual uh, ridiculousness, uh, with the kind of conceit of a car movie kind of Spider-Verse moment where everything's just sort of collapsing in on itself. Mm, I love that. I think it could be fun. You could could just do like quick cuts and and cut them between things that don't even make sense for a full action set piece. Like to have them play out that entire thing would be ridiculous. Like they are doing a World War II dogfight or they're in space and they're in in starships for a second for some reason. And and it's just like complete pandemonium and that's where they're able to make their escape into the real world by completely overloading the system, breaking out of their their Etienne, uh, uh matrix uh, interfaces, and and escaping from the facility and driving, you know, getting into real cars. And then during their escape, maybe they're being chased by the the evil artificial intelligence car that that is ready to go, and they're releasing it now into to to kill Dom and the crew. And that's that's the final set piece is the the chase sequence between them in, in actual cars, actual stakes, with uh with that that cyber car chasing them. I love it. Cut, print, check the gate, moving on. That, that's fantastic. Any, any any title ideas ruminating? Oh, I was so hoping you would ask. 
Oh, I was I was so hoping you would ask because it it, <laughs> it quite. I think we've established a good enough rapport at this point, thirty something episodes in, where you 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 almost instinctually know that I'd spent the last couple of minutes. I was I was listening to you for sure. I, I was I was definitely listening, but also came up with um, maybe my greatest contribution to the world of of our fictional movie titles that I'll ever come up with. Okay, um, I have two. I have I have. They're both bad. And I'll give you the one that's bad, bad first, and then I'll give you the one that's <laughs> that's excellent, bad. And uh-huh. you're gonna hate me on the second one because it's so bad, but you know also that it's so good. <laughs> okay, ready? Yep. So title number one, bad, bad title is uh, Fast and Furious presents automotive intelligence. So kind of a play on artificial intelligence. It's lame. Okay. It's, it's fine. It's fine. It's passable. Title number two, the real title is. The past of the furious. Yes. Yes. That's yes. it. That's it. Yes. Lock it in. Ooh. Call it a day. Send me my check That's in the mail. Fun. I'll be in the Bahamas. <laughs> I, I won't because we're not traveling anywhere right now. We're still mid pandemic, but you know, in my mind, in the simulation in my mind, I'll be in the Bahamas cashing my check. Okay. So I, I think we got the, we, we definitely have the premise. We definitely have the title. We definitely have the title. Uh, are you still feeling sold on the Werner Herzog of it all? No, no, no. I'm not married to that at all. That was just my gut reaction to your to your the prompt. Anyone coming to mind that uh, might fit this sort of tone? Because I, I mean, Werner Herzog is Werner Herzog, of course. You can you can do whatever he wants, but um, I, I think we need someone that's a little bit more of a a little bit more of a, a, a visual kind of boundary pusher. Someone someone who's gonna that, that that's coming from a place of I think a little bit of a broader swath of chaotic imagination. Okay, could we? I mean, could we just get the Wachowskis? We could. Oh, oh yeah, that's not bad. I mean, that's not bad at all. That's what we're talking about here, right? Simulation, chaotic visual flair, boundary pushing I, technology. I don't, I don't think it gets people talking in the way Werner Herzog does, but I think that's a good sign because. After the initial surprise of it, you go, yeah, that makes sense. That fits. I think it's still, it's still I mean, a fairly it, surprising choice. And I, I think uh, given their, their filmography and then the, I, I guess realistically, you take a step back, we are, we're sort of mashing up with this premise, the Matrix, Speed Racer, and Cloud Atlas. So <laughs> kind of yeah. works on that level. <laughs> I, I mean, sort it, of the Ready Player One of Wachowski movies. It's the, it's kind of meta even in that sense to bring them in to to I steer like the ship. Brennan, um, we're good. Cool. I'm I'm in on that one. Um okay, are you ready to receive your prompt from the Pitchinator seventeen thousand, whatever it was that you called it? Oh yeah, we just installed a new patch, so it, it is seventeen thousand now. Yeah, it's correct. gone to the it's gone to the seventeen thousand mark now. That, um, that's how they get you, man, with the upgrades. Yeah, it's all, you know, it's the freemium model. We're we're <laughs> we're their whales, so it uh, it works fine for us, but you know we pay we pay out the nose for it. Um, <laughs> all right, so booting it up, what what it, what it's spitting out for you is uh, basically it wants us to do something in the Terminator franchise. So we're gonna we're gonna do something with the Terminator IP, which is a which is yeah. a great place to go since they haven't quite been able to figure out what they want to do with that IP or how to do it well. The last um, four have been phenomenally successful. Everyone's loved them, so I don't think there's really any pressure on our shoulders here. I, I think we should. Which is this is pretty pretty this is playing T ball. We'll just uh put a terminator in there and, and sign and deliver it. It's the big yeah. deal. I mean there's certainly no meat on this bone. 
Um, so it's, it's, it's in the Terminator universe. Uh, we want to do a survival story, uh, but we also want it to, uh, perhaps in a, in a national treasure way, involve a historical mystery. Involve a historical mystery. So perhaps the Terminator okay. has gone back in time to steal the Declaration of Independence, <laughs> preventing the creation of America, and oh, thus, God. the in in a in a really roundabout <laughs> way, preventing the creation of John Connor. Skyfound just realizes he's thinking too small. Why, why am I going after John Connor? <laughs> we destroyed <laughs> the after America. <laughs> destroyed the institution of America. <laughs> Oh, man, that's really good. I don't know if I'm going to be able to top that. <laughs> oh, man, sorry. Should have just saved it for the end. <laughs> oh, the, just the founding fathers have to fight a Terminator <laughs> to protect their Declaration of Independence. <laughs> or it's a, a two-minute short where the, where the Terminator goes back in time and just brutally murders the founding fathers before America is created. <laughs> Oh my god! I, I, I want a I want a lower deck Star Trek the lower deck sort of anthology series where it's just Skynet sending a Terminator back to every single era just out of pure frustration, <laughs> and, and every single era some historical character just kicks the shit out of a Terminator. That's why. Why do we come up with the best ideas when we're just throwing things in the trash? <laughs> oh man! Last one is is Terminator versus the the first lizard that crawled out of the ocean. Uh, and we just start there <laughs> versus the primordial ooze of planet earth <laughs> uh, that's really good okay sorry could you could you go back to the actual prompt what, what was the what was the prompt again <laughs> sorry i gotta derail one more time <laughs> went back went back to the dinosaurs and it's the meteor <laughs> it's the meteor that kills him <laughs> The Terminator just, it warps in too high. It warps in up in the lower atmosphere and just plummets to Earth. Oh, you're saying the Terminator Terminator is the meteor? Yeah, he's the meteor. Oh, that's even better. I was just thinking he's there to get hit by the meteor going like, shoot, I I really bummed this one up. Oh, just every time it ends with Skynet, just like, oh, God damn it. (laughs) Just watching it on a screen or something. If it wasn't for you, pesky, insert historical figure here. Okay, I'm sorry. The prompt again was uh, the Terminator. It's in the, we're, we're we're trafficking the Terminator franchise, um, and we want it to be a survival story that involves a historical mystery. Okay, S- survival story. Historical mystery feels like the easiest place to start, just because it, it's a time travel story, right? With with the uh, with the exception of salvation, right? I and even there, it's kind of dealing with time travel a little right. bit, right? Just the the idea of trying to kill john connor again but uh, for the most part every single other one has dealt with almost increasingly wonky time travel uh escapades uh, right so I, I think in that respect uh what, what are some famous historical mysteries um atlantis uh um, oh that's good the bermuda triangle uh, oh okay i'm gonna start there because okay. bermuda triangle survival story what if we what if we took a step back from sort of the the kind of john connor of it all the sort of uh this the skynet trying to kill the the lone saver of humanity i, I feel like we, we've we've gotten that story so many times right that that at this point I, I don't think there's any meat left there i don't think there's anything left to chew and i think that's why we're, we're at this point well beyond the point of exhaustion with that franchise of just how many times you're gonna you're gonna kill the same people right like how many times is sarah connor going to show up how many times is the new john connor going to show up and 
we get it, you know, like that it, it, it's just an eternal struggle over these two people. Like that doesn't really make, I don't think that make, that's as compelling as it once was, you know, in the, in the first duology of it. What if we took a step way back from that and, and just kind of dug into the roots of what that franchise had going for it, which was just robot scary. Like he, it's just a big imposing Arnold Schwarzenegger who, who is, uh, has a metal exoskeleton underneath. Uh, and, and he's, uh, it, that that's terrifying because it's a it's a relentless uh, predator that that uh, chases you with uh, no mercy or compassion and and I think that that that's sort of the the fundamental truth of the franchise right that's the sort of the fundamental uh, appeal of it is is the chase between the Terminator and and the human. Um, if if we if we're talking about a survival story, what? What I think would fi- I would find very compelling is to get away from the lore of it and just watch another human being, another uh, uh, competent, interesting, uh, trained, and and um, and uh, uh, tactical kind of human having to deal with the Terminator in a very closed environment. So here's here's what I'm going to sort of pitch in in this sort of broader lore of it, in this sort of broader uh, conceit of it. I, th- I think at the in the last moments of Skynet, in in that um, pivotal moment where it sent back the Terminators to, to varying points in time, I think if if you sort of look at that timeline, it and I might be wrong about this, but in, in my reading of it, they, it sort of just sent back a bunch of Terminators all at once because that that's sort of how time travel works, right? Like it, it it didn't have to happen spaced out over time. You could send one in the timeline of Terminator One, and then a moment later send one to the timeline of Terminator Two, and then the timeline of Terminator Three, and and all of those could have been instantaneous to each other, right? And because and, and, it's, it's time, right? It, and so, in my mind, may, maybe Skynet's accuracy rating wasn't one hundred percent, right? The, maybe, maybe in its sort of desperation, it, it got a few of them right, but maybe it sent out a lot more of them that didn't quite hit the mark in, in time in time travel being wibbly wobbly and whatnot as it is. Let's say one of them got stranded in the past. Let's say one got stranded in a remote environment in the past where it had no ability to, uh, because it's been separated from from its mission by decades and and miles, uh, it was never able to complete its mission. What if one got stranded in the Bermuda Triangle, in in this kind of strange and mm. and uh, unknowable region of of uh, physical space? And I'd like to tie in the physical mystery part of it where. The Bermuda Triangle, I think, in that uh, era of like the 1940s, 1950s aviation had that sort of mystique of why did things keep disappearing into this region? I, I want to follow a World War II pilot in, in the 40s who essentially is sent on a combat mission, a, a very clandestine combat mission into this region and for Bermuda Triangle related reasons, crash lands on an island all by himself the Bermuda Triangle is, is wonky and weird or whatever, some kind of pseudoscience mumbo-jumbo. His radio doesn't work. He's completely stranded there with no hope of rescue. And on the fucking island with him is a Terminator who's been stranded there for like 30 years and his programming is degraded and it's, it's, it, it only understands its, its primary function to kill a human. And we get this incredible, tense man versus machine narrative of just watching this guy survive on an island for two hours against an unstoppable machine just jury rigging any kind of tools or weapons he possibly can out of the environment that he has to essentially survive the the natural force that is a terminator on this island 
That's really interesting. It, it, it gives me um, original Predator vibes a little bit. Yeah, I think like it's 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 a it's a human ingenuity versus an unbeatable kind of concept. When there's Predator with the this uh, alien hunter that has all of this technology, or or it's a I think a, a human versus an unstoppable machine that that you know never rests, never sleeps, doesn't bleed. It it just it just chases you. You know, and I think that that's a really sort of intense kind of survival story uh, conceit to me. And I think you bake it into that that man versus nature kind of classic storytelling. Like it has the aesthetic and the tonality of like the gray or something like that. But it's it's a guy in a Terminator. Which is kind of funny, uh, considering in The Predator, that it's Arnold Schwarzenegger in the reverse role. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I like that a lot, though. I think that's a fun conceit. And and uh, when while you were sort of pitching it, it, it I, I, was, I was thinking, too, that like, I was like, yeah, we really have kind of worn down the the Terminator franchise, but like, uh, what what do what is the core of the Terminator franchise? What really drew people to it? So I think I think you're right to uh, pull back from the world building of the and the and the mythology, of the John Connor angle, and kind of just drive it back towards the simplicity of the first two installments. Of like, sure, the scary thing here is just that you're being hunted by something that's unkillable, and what that Look, does the- to the psyche. There, there's sort of meta meta layer to this that that the Terminator franchise through through you know, half a dozen films and and the TV series and comic books and and merchandising like we we know what a Terminator is. I, I don't think audiences need an education in like this is what this machine is, right? This is what this character concept is. So we we have sort of that sandbox to play in where we don't have to assume we have to re-explain everything. So what, let's take advantage of that and strip away pretty much all of the lore just find a way to to tell the 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 tiniest sliver of explanation for why that terminator is there and let the rest of the movie just play out as a story between this guy and this machine that not nothing else like we don't we don't need the the john connor of it we don't need uh if you don't stop this terminator the future won't happen we don't need the apocalyptic war in the future it's purely a story of survival between a, a guy stranded on this island and an unstoppable killing machine that is now has him in, in, in its targets. And I, I think that is a, it's a very streamlined, it's a very, uh, dare I say, kind of sexy sort of experience of, of this is like, this is Terminator at its, at its fundamental rawness again. And I think there's something very exciting about that to me. Do you think it, do you think it ruins that to, to try and, throw in a character that that came from the future like a, almost like a it's a Kyle Reese like a Kyle Reese um character because I, I was I'm thinking like another it feels like another core part of the Terminator franchise is like the the other character the, the helpful character from the future um kind of guiding the protagonist who doesn't who's a little bit out of their depths it's not to say that that person needs to dive into the whole mission and the John Connor of it all but maybe they're just trying to get home and they can help provide a little bit of context, like a little bit of necessary context to the the person, and then also be like a maybe a companion or, or something like that. Do you think do you think that breaks what you're trying to achieve? Okay, this is a this sounds like a classic studio note. So thank you for ruining my my beautiful artsy pitch <laughs> with your crass commercialism. But I think it's good because it it's it, it, it I I see an angle in here that I think could be very exciting if if we want to dare I say, franchise this more, you know, like create this sort of sub-franchise out of this. What what if I were to, to propose to you that 
this concept of of the Terminators going back in time, what if the the sort of Kyle Reese humans of of the future that are that are essentially trying to stop these uh, these time invasions, every time Skynet sends one back, they sort of paired it off with a human. So in this uh, in, in this conceit of of this particular Terminator went way off course time wise and and uh, physical space wise, right? That ended up in this remote island, uh, decades removed from its mission. Then you would you would imagine that the human agent that was sent back is likewise uh, went off course, right? Mm-hmm. And so in that sort of uh, in that sort of imagining, this human's probably been trapped there with the Terminator for the past ten years. Exactly. And if, if that human has managed to survive for this long, one, I think you're right. Excellent point of exposition. We just get that all out of the way in one one easy scene. But I think the the cool thing about it is that it it's sort of it sort of opens the door to future stories as well of going, where else did these Terminators end up and, and who was matched mm, up with them? I, you like know? That. I like that a lot. And, and you kind of open the door to a lot of different maybe historical angles that you could play in in various mediums and various forms of, of other historical... Well, what if one went, went 200 years off course? What if one was 1,000 years off course? You, know? you, you do kind of a fish out of water story there with the human aspect. So, so here's what I'll pitch to you. If we want this angle of being a little bit less of a streamlined experience, but a little bit more of a franchisable one, a little more of an expandable one, let's say like 20, 30 minutes into the film, the, the our human protagonist meets this other human protagonist who has been stuck on this island for 10 years. You know, they, they save them or something and they explain the situation. They give the lore dump and we get the exposition. But the, the way the film progresses from there is that the dynamic shifts because essentially that that uh, human from the future goes, I, I've, I've been having to survive here for 10 years just trying to keep this Terminator from escaping the island. Like it's just been this game of cat and cat almost trying to keep us both here. Now that you're here though, and there's two of us, this is our chance to finally kill it. Mm. And that's that's how the stakes change at the halfway point of the film is now they're not just running, now they're crafting some kind of scheme to to finish this once and for all or maybe it's the other character that does it maybe it's the it's the the pilot maybe it's the character from the past who says no i'm not gonna sit here for for another 20 years or whatever with you on this island trying to keep this machine from escaping we're we're gonna stop this thing and you can you can come with me or not and the little tension there is maybe you know you're gonna risk the mission essentially of, of getting us both killed over a chance to escape but you know you, you gotta weigh the pros and cons there and I think that 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 could be an interesting angle where it twists on its head halfway through the film of Hunter becoming the the hunted. Sure, yeah, I like I like that a lot. I feel like it because because not only do I feel like it um, uh, gets rooted back in what I think made the original Terminator installments very interesting, but it but it, it also does it, it does have Predator vibes, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing because that that's another fran- certainly another franchise that has a similar problem of like. Uh, an, an original installment that people really, really love, but the franchise consistently getting away from that, not really ever hitting that mark again. So it's like, it it does kind of, it feels like it it harkens back to exactly what you'd want it to be, um, with without needing to get bogged down in mythology and kind of avoiding that trap of some of these uh, these these eighty these franchises from the eighties that that just never kind of took off. Sure, and I think as as. Predator as Terminator as even Aliens has has kind of demonstrated 
when when you're when you're building on these things, the the original classics, a lot of the times bigger is not better. Right? A lot of the times it's it's substantially less interesting the the bigger and and more grandiose and and uh, more sweeping and epic you get with it. So, sometimes we we just fell in love with that very simple conceit of this is the a story of a of a uh, a person being pursued by a relentless killing machine. Like, you know, this is a story of a guy trying to survive in the jungle against an alien. Like that that's that that's the real heart of it. And the bigger you get, the smaller the heart gets. And I think there's there's something interesting here if we're trying to revitalize the Terminator franchise of just instead of getting so big with it, just just drill it down to the smallest possible version of itself. Yeah, I mean I, I think that's a good point. Certainly you feel like some of these franchises um also kind of make the mistake of getting away from like they maybe maybe hone in on the wrong thing in in the attempt to franchise out you know like i think of like a pirates of the caribbean franchise that was like no we're going to just take the 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 jack sparrow character and that's going to be the focus and we're going to go balls to the wall with that and it doesn't really pan out that way really or the despicable me goes all in on the minions and you're like eh, it doesn't quite work and i think terminator certainly suffers from that in the same way where it's like it went oh there's a john connor angle that's that's our best angle. Let's just let's just keep dialing into this. And it's like, no, the the fun part was the terror of that creature and the kind of pseudo cheesiness of that that eighties, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger bodybuilder, terrifying physical presence. Like, there's a simplicity to that. So I I I like that you're calling back to that. Did you by any chance have any titles cooking up in your head? Oh man, I I feel like I set up really high expectations on the last one. <laughs> um, I guess this one shouldn't be too hard because it's you know Terminator something that ends in T I O N. Um, is is that the trend? Terminator. I oh, think they only, I, they only did that once, didn't they? Terminator. Because there's, there's oh, Judgment yeah, Day. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Did the third one have a subtitle, or was that just Terminator Three? I think that was just oh uh, that was Terminator Three: Rise of the Machines. Okay, that's terrible. And then Salvation. Genesis and Dark Fate. So they they're just all over the map. I don't think there's really a title structure here that we have to have to obey. Mm, Terminator. Terminator. I I, li- I like the I like the sort of word hunter in there. Like that that concept. Maybe not that specific word, but like the idea that this is a like a you know, like a it's a take on almost a, a, a most deadly game of, of uh, uh these two forces um playing that that sort of cat and cat game i think is, is interesting to me Some, something around there might be kind of fun what, what about maybe like diving into some some northern european folklore and calling it like terminator the wild hunt the wild hunt that's interesting that's evocative mm, that's kind of fun maybe, maybe not it doesn't need to be the choice but like maybe something in that direction the wild hunt i like that I'm good with that. Okay. Yeah. It, it it feels it feels very evocative. Like uh, you don't really know what it is, but you can kind of get a you you get a feel for it. What is the what is the wild hunt? What 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 that that's actually me asking. What is the wild hunt? I mean, or, or it could just be Terminator Wild Hunt. I mean, it doesn't maybe it doesn't need to be the Wild Hunt. I don't know. It could be it could go either way. I like that. No, I'm good with that. Okay. Yeah, I'm settled with that. Cool. All right. Two for, uh, two, for two, baby. Well, <laughs> one more to close out the night let's do it uh, alright I'm booting it up right now boop, 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 boop. this one's making me a little nervous cause, cause I, I think we can crack it I think we can nail it but the way these these parameters are coming together there's a, there's a lot of canvas that needs to be painted 
um strap in for a second and 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 <laughs> that's what i that's that's what i want to hear right before you give me a prompt <laughs> can, can you help us crack a power rangers concept okay good start and, and this is very uh yeah this this is a a good this is a good starting point in that uh, you know we are actively looking to reboot power rangers right and when finding that direction is very important but the algorithm is telling us that it's it's just not going to work as as this kind of bubblegum cotton candy fluff anymore. It, it's telling us we got to we got to aim to win best picture with this film. This has got to be an Oscar bait Power Rangers. And and furthermore, we need to pitch the studio as a trilogy. Con- contractual obligations, they want 3 films out of us. What the hell does a Power Rangers Oscar bait trilogy look like? What is the what is the Godfather of Power Rangers films look like? Oof. Okay. Woof. Started off strong yeah, so, with the Power Rangers that, angle, and then it just quickly I, I went think, downhill. I think we start with the Oscar bait angle of right. I, I think we just got to crack what the hell that means. How do you how do you how do you intertangle Zordon and 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 colorful Ranger costumes with this idea that this this could be a a, a contender for Best Picture? Okay, all right, here's the start. Um, it's not wholly original, but I think it's a good place to start. Um, so I'm thinking like, okay, what what genre fair has been recognized in that conversation, if not necessarily always as a nomination? Um, and I immediately think of Logan, and I think of sure. The Dark Knight. Um, okay, yeah. But, but more specifically, I, I think of Logan. And, and I think of Logan because I think that it, i love i love the idea of it being after the happy ending so to speak happy happy being mm. in air quotes mm. um and getting an opportunity to deconstruct the superhero mythos in a in a very literal and and, and meta way in, in in the way that logan like literally pulls out the comic books and goes this didn't happen this way and you know there are ramifications to the like life goes on um and it doesn't look like the comic books literally so that's interesting, and if that's what I'm thinking, then I enjoy uh, mulling or, or ruminating on the Joseph Kahn um, directed, uh, produced by um, uh, what's his name, the Bootleg Power Rangers, um, Adi Shankar, because uh-huh. uh-huh. um, that that was still genre, but there were elements in there where you you could see him exploring. You, you know, way, way later in the life, like midlife of these characters who were used as teenagers to fight an army. Like he, he was exploring threads there where like the, the Rocky character in that, in that short for anyone who hasn't seen it was, is, is like talking to the Kimberly character and is like, we, we, we were kids. They just took us and made, turned us into soldiers. Like it messed us all up. The one kid, one guy developed a drug problem. The, you know, this guy was addicted to that, that this guy went off the deep, you know, like the real world psychological ramifications of what that, that experience um, being uh, borderline manipulated by a, a otherworldly entity for his own ends. Like what sure. does that do to the psyche of children when they're, when they reach midlife? And it, 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 it almost feels a little bit too like what they deal with in, um, in it between when they, when we get to chapter two and like, like after that experience that these kids have, which is really fun to watch as a movie, you're like, Oh wait, this really, you know, f's you up as an adult. Um, I, that that's the in I that's the only in I can see right now. Uh, 
to get at Oscar bait because you, you get a bunch of good actors and give them an opportunity to really play up the trauma of that and the, the reckoning with how that psychologically damaged them. Um, I, the, the kind of angle you pointed out with Logan of uh, the comic books sort of being canonized within the actual text of the film is, is interesting to me. And it, it makes me sort of think of, of what if we could play around with a very similar angle in this universe of what if we what if we toyed around with the conceit that all of the Power Rangers series, all of those colorful kids, uh, essentially kind of live action cartoons almost are based on the exploits of real people that the there maybe there was an actual war that was fought on on earth and that there was a uh, a team or or multiple teams of these young individuals who who rose to uh, uh meet that challenge and and successfully defended earth in some way and the the sort of all of the power rangers stuff that we know that followed is is kind of like merchandising of that almost like merchandising of that that trauma and that tragedy of you know, uh, 20, 30 years removed from it. Now it's, now it's a colorful action figure when it was a, a real, uh, actual important monumental and, and tragic, um, era of time that, that real people had to live through. I, yeah. I like that a lot. And like, like, I love the idea of having literal action figures and like, I, I can see that scene playing out where, you know, like an older Tommy, um, you know, sees a kid on the street playing with his green ranger to actually like I, you, you, like I can see that very viscerally in my head. So I think that's cool. What do you think about this as far as like, cause I'm now I'm trying to crack the trilogy component of it. What do you think about going for a, using the first film as sort of a um, passing of the torch slash one last ride kind of concept of, uh, or, or wherein we have, so there's been peace for a while. Like I like the idea that the war was fought and, and that the world is, is, different like the world is very different um and this is maybe seems like a somewhat funny example to bring up in a in a sense that this is something that i think did this well but um the transformers franchise actually i don't think did a terrible job of really showing and dealing with what the world looks like in the aftermath of an event like that like you have um uh and i'm talking specifically about transformers 4 because that follows three in which Chicago is invaded and it's almost a full on alien invasion movie. Um, and you get to four and like, now you have signs everywhere in like rural Kansas or wherever he lives. That's like, you know, if you spot any transformers, report them to the government, there's government agencies dedicated to hunting these. Like you, you get the sense that this world is substantially different because of the presence of these things in a very traumatic event. Um, and it hasn't just kind of been washed over. Uh, so, so, kind of I like that angle where it's like the the and 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 stemming from that that someone in the government maybe is sort of trying to institute like the Zordon program basically like trying to kickstart this thing again because they're like this is not the only threat we're going to face you know if this happened once it could happen again and um we didn't just solve the problem like the cosmos are vast like we 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 and maybe even taking it a step further and going we need to go on the offensive not just be ready for whatever might come so that there might be a program to sort of like take the Zordon principle. But, but whereas, uh, Zordon was a fairly, um, maybe magnanimous character, even, even if he was maybe a little selfish and misguided and using kids for his own end, we, we assumed that he was a good guy and was wanted the best for these kids and maybe didn't really have another choice or this was the best way he thought, but that this government agency would really, really not have the best interest. This is very, very corporate driven. And now we have these secret academies where they're training these kids and 
they've they've basically bastardized Zordon's Zordon's philosophy, and that our Power Rangers, midlife Power Rangers would kind of stumble on this and maybe similar to Logan kind of try to liberate some of these kids. Um, and 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 maybe that's the journey of the first film. And then the second and third film, you kind of, I, I haven't quite gotten this far yet, but maybe play out um, uh, that that tension or that conflict between now a resistance faction that's trying to stop the weapon, weaponization of what should be a defensive force um, and, and what was supposed to be the defenders of humanity and preventing that from becoming the soldiers in a in a in, in an attempt at an intergalactic human empire. Does that make sense? Sure. That was a bit. Uh, yeah, there's rambly. some interesting. There's some interesting nuggets in there. I, th- I think that that angle of of the the Power Rangers, the original uh, uh, crew, that original team, sort of taking on a mentorship role in, in a very, in, in a Logan esque way, but maybe maybe not quite uh, so reluctantly. Uh, I think it's very interesting. Could could you fill me in a little bit on on Power Rangers lore uh, in terms of how they get their powers i, I remember I, I you know as a kid watching the original series i know there's something to do with coins but is there anything beyond that of like can anyone get a coin and become a power ranger or is it like what's the sort of mechanics there so we we have a we have a sandbox that we know where we can play in um you, you can kind of play a little like d- depending on which entry point you come into the fr- franchise you can play around different things so in the tv show it's it's not it doesn't go very deep. It's just he he picks some teenagers with attitude, literally, and um, gives them these power coins, which gives them great powers. And and presumably Zordon has chosen them because he sees in them the qualities of leadership and honor and justice that he's looking for. In the uh, in the comic series that that has come out recently by Boom Studios, which is which is very good, they they kind of delve a little bit more into that there was a Ranger team before the ones that we know. Um, and that they were given these coins and that it didn't really work out. And so that this, the team of characters that we're familiar with in the comics are sort of like his second chance at it. And, um, I think that that's a little interesting cause it, it's maybe less about like that he has a infallible interpretation of who would be, uh, capable of handling this legacy and is more just kind of like picking people that he thinks would be the best choice and it doesn't always work out. So you, you have, a, you have a little wiggle room as far as like how you want to play with that. Uh, so I guess in, in terms of these coins, though, can can if if uh, if a ranger was given a coin, could they give that coin to someone else later, and then that person becomes a power ranger? Is there any other yeah. process there? Or are they tied to a specific individual? No, they've they've definitely passed down. Um, that, that's that, okay. that's been a story device that's been used multiple times to bring in new actors is passing down coins and powers and having a power transfer. Um, I'm just gonna throw this plot concept out there. I don't know how it connects yet, but it's intriguing to me. Of what what does it look like if a if a government or or an organization or, or kind of the the way you're sort of describing um, these academies what would it look like if they started trying to mass produce these coins like what what are the consequences of that if, if you kind of if you know the the sort of the reason why the team is so small is I would assume you know the, these power coins are very difficult to manufacture and and contain a lot of power right so what does it look like when you take the crass kind of artificial mechanized approach to it and and you just start pumping these out on a factory conveyor belt in the same way maybe that you know these power rangers legacies are being pumped out on a factory conveyor belt in in action figures and t-shirts and posters and stuff and and what does that look like when you dilute that down to something uh a very not maybe not commercial, but in a sense, you know, what is the the uh, military commercialism in, in some sense of mass-produced coins? 
That's really interesting. So not to like get too into it, but uh, and the comics delve into this a lot more, but there's the concept of the morphin, the morphin grid, um, which is sort of this, um, I guess, pocket dimension. I, I maybe power deep, deep power Rangers fans are yelling at me because I, <laughs> I haven't quite gone, I haven't quite gone this aggressively deep into it, but to my understanding, it's sort of a realm or, or pocket dimension from which the power of the power, like the power Rangers powers are drawn. And that's, that's where their their abilities manifest from and their suits and everything like that so that's kind of interesting if they're messing with that and they're like trying to artificially engage with something that's not meant to be um engaged with in in that manner so that's kind of interesting and maybe it maybe leads to a plot point of like the destabilization of the morphing grid and the potential to cause catastrophe um in the wider cosmos plus that could then bring in you know if, if zordon's race is around somewhere um maybe there's a conflict between the humans and that race because they're like what are you doing to our grid and the table's being flipped a little bit to like now as as humans do when they get their hands on technology the exponential rate at which we're able to go from the hunted to the hunter you know is maybe an interesting power flip dynamic hmm Uh, at the risk of uh, uh just ripping off wholesale um the most successful movie franchise in history. What if there was some element of playing with the initial installments of more of an earthbound adventure and then towards the end of that trilogy, maybe broadening up the scope to, to bring them into space in some way? Like almost have the first one or two films be that kind of Marvel Civil War sort of angle of dealing with the consequences of this power being in individuals' hands in, on Earth. And then in the third film, maybe turning the attention to something broader, an external threat, in, in which case we have to kind of shift the dynamics of that in some way. Yeah, I like that a lot. I think that's a natural progression through the three movies. Let me throw out a let me throw out a quick uh let me throw out a quick prompt here in, in terms of uh, a potential place for the story to start. What if um what if we play out the idea that they won this initial war, whether it's our equivalent of like a Rita Repulsa or something, whatever the uh, the initial villain was, maybe we could skip right ahead to the Machine Empire. Maybe we maybe we go with some original kind of uh, antagonistic alien force that that necessitated the Power Rangers, um, and they won that fight, right? And in the aftermath of that, they are they're heroes. They're they're at the top of their game. You know, they're they're the essentially the at, at the peak of of their their popularity and their fame and and their their prestige and whatnot, and as a result of that, they uh, they lead an initiative to kind of strike back at the enemy. Like they're they're gonna we we fought the first battle on Earth and we're gonna fight the the last one in space against this enemy and finish them off for one once and for all. And our our core cast of Power Rangers essentially trains the next generation of Rangers. And and maybe we we have the conceit where they. Uh, I don't know, maybe against Zordon's wishes or or maybe Zordon's gone at this point. They they enable the creation of these mass-produced power coins and they build, they help the the world build this army of rangers and they get sent off to fight in this war and and they all die. Like all of these, their protégés, their students, their their trainees, they they're they're absolutely destroyed in this war uh for for a variety of different reasons and it's a huge tactical failure and the past 20 years or whatever since that that event the popularity of the power rangers hasn't waned maybe the government kept that hidden and they didn't uh 
They didn't publicize that. Maybe they've been spending the past 20 years pretending like they had won the war when, when in fact they had lost it. And, and we see the decline of all of the Rangers kind of during that time of having to deal with that, of just like we were responsible for the death of tens of thousands uh, of, of these people that put their trust in us. Uh, we, we sort of bastardized what it meant to be a Ranger by allowing the creation of these coins. We, you know, we, we put the, the, this sort of power in the hands of our governments and institutions on earth that, that can't be trusted. And they sort of, pl we play out that kind of lowest moment of, of the Logan sort of scenario where they're all at their, 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 the depths of that Canyon of, of just dealing with the ramifications of what they brought into this world. And, and maybe further compounded by the fact that the world doesn't know it, they're, they're, the concept of them is still beloved. And I, I think you can even play with the fact that the power Rangers are in their masks all the time. So no one knows what they look like. So they can kind of go about living their human lives mm. while at the same time, the image of them younger and in their suits and at their prime are plastered over everywhere. There's still Power Rangers movies being produced. There's still Power Rangers action figures. You know, there's still kids playing with these toys and, and, and uh, uh, um, admiring and, and, and uh, loving these, these heroes of the past. And I think that's a very interesting place to maybe start the characters as just being these kind of anonymous people in the crowd who live with the actual history of what happened and, and hold the actual history of what happened. Mm, I like that a lot. Oh, uh, let me, let me throw it. Let me, let me escalate that angle a little bit. What if the governments of the world essentially find out that in those ensuing 20 years that they've, they've hidden this fact from everyone, but we, we lost that war so badly uh, in space. And not only that, but now the, the next counterattack is coming because we escalated that war with them and, and we're going to be pretty unprepared for that, probably. And so they've hidden that fact for like 20 years to prevent, you know, chaos and, and prevent uh, panic and essentially to hold on to their power because they, they, the leaders of the world fucked this up and, and had this bad plan that went wrong. And to kind of hide that, they've, they've essentially allowed the entire population to remain ignorant of that. And, and that, that's sort of the, uh, the, the kind of, you, you set up a little bit of the corruption of that government and the greed of that government. Now the the right day of reckoning is approaching, and then then this war is going to be fought. But in in that greed and in that uh, uh, kind of callous ignorance, there we we kick off the plot by the fact that the governments of the world actually try to go out and and find and kill the existing rangers who who are still alive, because once the war hits, they don't want the knowledge to get out that they had already lost the first battle and, and demoralized their armies and demoralized oh, the population with this newfound knowledge that 20 years ago, actually, we didn't win that war. We got our asses kicked. And so to cover up that knowledge for good, they're, they're tracking down and trying to kill these, these rangers who are just trying to live their anonymous little lives, um, you know, and, and, their, and, and live out the, the rest of their days of grief. And that maybe that is what brings them back together again of survival, of, of they're being hunted. They're, these agents are coming after them. And that sort of kicks off the plot, brings them together, and maybe in some way inspires them to to rekindle their Power Rangerness and and become heroes again by the end of the third movie. Oh man, that's a great that's a great trajectory. I love. Kind of imagine almost like a John Wick esque sort of thing where they're getting they're getting pulled back into it unintentionally. Totally. And that, I mean that's a great mechanism too to like introduce the mythology reintroduce the mythologies through them sort of getting reacquainted with it so it's a good story device sure maybe they're, maybe they're not being hunted to be killed maybe they're being hunted to be recruited again like the government wants to bring them back in and and train an army for the second time and try it again sort of thing and they're sure. obviously very reticent for that i think there's some ways you could play around with that but i think i like the idea of that 
that impetus being uh, the reason why they're being brought together again and, and having to make the very weighty decision of do we do we take a second stab at this? It went so wrong the first time and, and we have so much blood on our hands. I think that, that feels weighty enough where you can get that kind of Logan reaction of, I think one of the reasons why Logan is so effective is that we've spent decades with the X-Men and we know the character already. You don't need to set up why he's sad, right? Right. If you just say that he failed the X-Men and the X-Men failed, that's enough to, for you to go, I understand that. And I think the fact that we've grown up with decades of Power Rangers at this point, I, I think you, you have that mechanism already and, and maybe it's a cheap, maybe it's a shortcut, but regardless, you have that nostalgia of going, it, it I, I, I feel for these characters and I feel for this concept and I feel for this world without that much setup because I've already lived with these people for so long. And I think to sort of take that meta narrative approach of even kind of canonizing our love for them in the sense of making the cartoons and, and the TV shows and the comic books and merchandise and whatnot actually exists in that world, I think only further kind of solidifies that connection. Yeah, that's that's a great angle. I feel like it's a perfect way to to interrogate and deconstruct the franchise but still like get to the heart of what it meant to people in a in a really fun meta way so i i think the the first two films and i don't know what the split is if you can help me out here of, of i think it's them being brought back together us setting up the world and the stakes them having the kind of challenges on earth of of uh both reclaiming their own power but also f- trying to figure out it, whether or how or even whether or not they should pass that power on again to another generation and then maybe the the third film is is the the infinity war of it right the mm-hmm. the arrival of the 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 enemy and and their their last stand as as rangers oh man i want to see this so bad now this is this is the problem with our podcast is we finish these pitches and i'm like why 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 isn't this real <laughs> now I'm just gonna have to go sit there and imagine this in my head because no one's ever gonna make this. Any uh, any titles percolating at all? My instinct is not to have it be Power Rangers. Like I I, I like I, I like something like like not, not literally like power, but something like really dynamic and impactful. Like 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 I love I love how evocative Logan is. Sure. Um, go for that one word title. It's it's very uh. Yeah, I think power is straightforward. Power is too lame, but uh, but but some, something like that. Like I'm trying to think of what the the Logan equivalent would be in. I mean, I guess power is not horrible. It's a little bit generic, but um, yeah, some, something like that. I, something like that feels really evocative to me. Like it, it's very very emblematic of the stripped down nature of the story and how it's it's not like it wasn't like X Men Logan. It's like no no, it's it's Logan, right. Okay, we'll percolate on it. Yeah, something something in there. We got two really good titles. I, I'm an, I'll forgive us for <laughs> not immediately nailing this one. All right. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm happy with our franchise titles this week. Um, I, I don't know if uh, I don't know if it's there yet in terms of winning us the Oscar, but I think we're on the right path. You know, <laughs> we've uh, we set it up. We've set up the possibility there of uh, maybe uh, maybe getting us that uh, best screenwriting nomination for <laughs> for power. Power. <laughs> All right. Do uh, you want to do one more off the high concept deck before we call it a night? Yeah, let's do it. So as a uh, quick reminder to all of our newer listeners, um, every episode we we end the uh, the show with a uh, premise off of what we call the high concept deck, which are 
uh, random log lines that were sent in by listeners just like yourself. Uh, we'll draw one off the top and see what we can make out of it. If uh, at any point you'd like to see one of your log lines mixed into the deck, just hit us up on social media, any of the platforms that we're on, and uh, we'll put that in the mix. This week, our premise is, Julian, a city in the sky discovers life on the earth below. What does that strike you as? A city in the sky discovers life on the earth below. Hmm. I'm, I'm, we don't have to go this angle, but I am getting kind of um, getting kind of Pixar DreamWorks animation kind of vibes here. Oh, okay, yeah. Let's no, let's just let's okay. just roll with that and see where it goes. Um, um, it, it feels to me kind of like a like a classic uh, children's movie premise of the the two worlds mixing. You know, uh, mm-hmm. a a young character at uh, is having lived their entire life in in one environment, suddenly discovers the uh, a whole new way of looking at the world, sort of thing. I like I like the idea that maybe maybe the the ground world or the earth or whatever is is being presented to the children and the population of the sky city as being like, like they're being misled. Um, like it's, it's something dangerous or it's something to be feared. Um, you know, not, not unlike a little, little how to train your dragon vibes where it's like the okay, dragons yeah. are bad, but it, they're actually not. And it takes one person to get down there. And I, it's a fairly standard premise, but it, 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 it always plays well. And I think there's some fun, there's some fun to be had there and particularly with the visuals between a sky city and a ground city and that they might not know about each other or, or might've been disconnected. Let me, let me take that one step further. Mm-hmm. Cause I think this is a very classic sort of a Pixar DreamWorks premise of a, a character who becomes sort of infatuated with the, the grass is greener on the other side, you know, kind of becomes uh, enamored by the idea of this other world. What if we sort of, um, what if we set it up as as uh, we we follow a child who's being raised on this this sky world, right? The, in one of these sky cities, and um, through I, I don't know if they're like forbidden texts or or some books that she discovers or something that she has, she essentially falls in love with the the classic vision of Earth, right? The the cities and the animals and the plants and jungles and deserts and all these different biomes that don't exist on this kind of artificial city in the clouds and, and just falls in love with the idea of this adventure of, of going down to the surface and, and meeting all these people and, and seeing all these incredible things and, and, and seeing the great pyramids and Niagara Falls and all of these kind of uh, these concepts of, of earth that uh, the, the wonders of earth and eventually maybe a, d- despite the warnings of the the people in charge and her parents and her family or whatever she eventually escapes the city and makes it down to earth and and discovers that the ground world is essentially it's it's like 500 years past our present point all of the information she was reading was about our present like 2020 and she was reading uh, or she lives in in the the world of 2500 right and the world is just completely gone to crap like it's it's a it's an apocalyptic wasteland sort of thing because the the grounders or the earthlings or whatever they've been they've been strip mining the planet and and every every decade getting worse and worse about how much more they need to to exploit the planet and its resources to survive and so it's sort of like a culture shock of realizing that uh, maybe in some way that the sky people escaped that and they just left the rest of earth to their fate like 500 years ago 
and and the culmination of the story, the arc of the story is is trying to bring those two together again, and and find a way to save everyone. It's fun. It's a it's, it's kind of a reverse Wally a little bit. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where it starts in the, you know, fancy place and and eventually makes its way to the decrepit wastes of Earth. Right. Yeah, I think that's fun. I think I think it's a cool moment, you know, 20, 30 minutes in uh, or, you know, end of the first act or so where you get that culture shock of you've been waiting to see this character discover all the great things about Earth and you end up in <laughs> in this kind of Mad Max sort of wasteland or or maybe just over-industrialized kind of Coruscant-esque uh, super cities that, that have just taken over the planet, you know, something like that. And of course, they um, um, I assume they meet an Earthling or a Groundling or whatever we want to come up with the term and they they have a friendship or they have a romance or something. And that, that sort of brings the two worlds together. I think very classic animated premise there. Uh, uh, I, I like that a lot. I'll, I'll, just as an alternative angle to it, when, when you started pitching it, I, I actually thought you were going to go a different way. I thought you were going to go with um, that. Everything she's told and everything she's reading is that the earth is that is, is the decrepit, you know, wasteland and that she would get down there to find that it's completely normal. Um, and that they don't know about the Sky City. So now she's trying to figure out why the Earth doesn't know about the Sky City and the Sky City doesn't know about the Earth City. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. And that there would have been a uh, yeah, disconnect I, at some point, you know, and that there's some some agenda to to keep both parties in the dark. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Like uh, almost like um like a conspiracy of a sense of, of the leadership of both of these are collaborating almost to keep their own uh, distinct populations uh, separate from each other. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's... Oh, I, I, I like that idea of maybe going in the sense of uh, it, it's to make the, you know, it's the opposite of the grass is greener on the other side of like the other world is so crappy that you have to appreciate what you have here and that's how they stay in power. And they're sort of collaborating with each other to keep any flow of information from from... Uh, flowing back and forth so that they both can keep up that narrative, the leadership of both of these, the ground city and the uh, the sky city, of that the other one is terrible. The other one is, is a hellscape. So you got to appreciate what we're doing over here and let us stay in power. Yeah, because it might be a thing where like if people knew about the other one and how and what it was like, then they may want to go, but they don't want people to go between the two. Like they, they need people to stay on the sky city. They need people to stay on the earth. And they don't want people to be on the earth to be like, I want to get to the sky cities or the people in the sky cities to be like, I want to get to the, actually what would be wild is if there was another, you had a, a second twist that there were multiple sky cities um, mm. and they all don't know about everything. And so that there's been this, this elaborate um, conspiracy to keep all these things separate, potentially as a way of population control. And now we're getting a little heady for Pixar. Um but I mean, we we just did a movie on the afterlife and the meaning of existence, so it's uh, I think Pixar would be open to it. Fair point, <laughs> fair point. But I don't know. That's kind of the, 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 there's definitely something interesting in there. I think in that case we go with like a classic uh, kind of kids movie premise where they have to travel to the other city to to retrieve something. Maybe they're maybe the the parent is sick and uh, the the grandparents is you know in in my day I remember that. Uh, we, in the day before the cities were closed off from each other, this other one had access to this medicine or this plant or something, and you need to go on this journey to retrieve it. And so we, like you said, we set up this idea that she's going to travel into the hell, you know, the hellscape of, of this post-apocalyptic city. And when she arrives there, it's it's pretty much exactly the same. It's just, it's the same 
not perfect, but it's the same problems that she has at home. You know, they're 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 they they've been kind of misled in, into thinking that it's it's this terrible place. And you could play a little bit with that in terms of the humor of her just assuming that everyone she meets is like this Neanderthal like uh, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, moron that that uh, they don't know anything about anything, and that obviously learns very quickly that they're they're the exact same as she is, sort of thing. Yeah, I love that. That's fun. I feel like there's a lot of a lot of fun to that premise. There's a lot, a lot of visual fun that I think you could have with that as well. Yeah, you can go with something cute like a like a above and below or high and low or something as the title. I think it could be fun. Oh, just yeah. the, I think the the visual metaphor of sky and ground and being opposites it, it works really well. It's just sort of a an aesthetic kind of metaphor. Oh man, can I? <laughs> Are you are you either gonna really like this title or really hate it? I'm actually not sure which one. But more. could it be a play on um above and below and be like love and below or like a love and below like the whole thing is about love and but it's a play on that <laughs> it's so bad I, okay. as i said i don't i don't hate love and below that's that's kind of interesting <laughs> it's fun it's not bad <laughs> my, my title that's generation fun. machine is running on fumes <laughs> after <laughs> i used up all the gas on past you, you past you the, set the expectations too high if i if i had known it was just one shot in the chamber i wouldn't have been <laughs> continued to pressure you but i got so excited off of that one okay so to be, i just to, wanted to, to, to be, keep pushing it <laughs> to be fair terminator wild hunt was was pretty good too yeah, that's uh, that's not bad. So there Terminator was, Wild Hunt is very good, actually. There was a there was a little juice left for that. One, now, <laughs> now it's just fumes. I and not to not to circle all the way back around, but if we're talking about that Terminator franchising, I think you could play around a lot with that hunt sort of uh, vernacular, like Wild Hunt, Dark Hunt, you know, Last Hunt, Faded Hunt. Like I think like a lot of things you could do with that in that kind of sub series. I think it's a very good foundation. Oh yeah, that's yeah. You're right. If if you spun out those those. Um, Sub sub franchise installments for sure. That's fun. Yeah, let's let's stick with love and below. If we come up with something better, we'll come. Uh, that the, that's I don't hate it. It's not, it's not hate it. It's not the worst. <laughs> that was uh, not bad. Okay, I think we got some like good. Um, I'm 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 fairly happy with. I think most of the the pitches. I I was I was concerned with the Power Rangers one as as, as I know you were when throwing it out there, but I feel like even that one, that, that maybe being the most difficult one we had this episode, we, I think, well, mainly you, but I think you landed in a, in a nice place with what that could be. And I'm, and I'm, I'm very excited by that as, as challenging as the prompt was initially. Look, I'm still buzzing about uh, George Washington fighting a Terminator. I know we were (laughs) joshing around there, but that, I, I think that's that's no joke. The strongest thing we've come out of them in this episode. That's a, I mean, it's an extremely good animated series or something. You get like Lord and Miller involved. I, I think like fifteen minute shorts where Terminator just fights a random historical figure for the fate of humanity is uh, is extremely good. Let's just go ahead and lock that in as a bonus pitch from this episode. This is just a bonus fifth pitch that we're we're pitching the the term the lower decks of the Terminator franchise animated series. Oh man, uh, just stuff various failures in the uh in the historical genre <laughs> um that's great well um that was uh, another episode of the bag thank you guys for listening and for tuning in to our often nonsensical ramblings but we every once in a while you know churn out a pass in the furious and it's all good and that's why we get paid <laughs> uh, or i guess that's why we don't get paid to do this job 
um, yeah, if you want to uh, uh, catch up on previous episodes and uh, check out some of the the posters that we've done for previous episodes, we've done treatments, we've done scripts, um, all that stuff can be found on our website, letswritepod.com. Also, feel free to hit us up on on social at any time, at Let's Write Pod on all platforms. If you have any um, uh, pitches that you would want to contribute to our high concept deck and maybe see one of yours featured at the end of the episode, uh, definitely hit us up there. And, and, and let us know if you got something interesting that we can marinate on and cook up in the Let's Right kitchen. Um, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode.